0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. There's a lot of you here. Um, I'm glad that all of you came to watch me preach. I had a lot of my family come to watch me preach today. Really glad y'all are here. Some of my family even came from South Dakota, all the way up in Rapid City. Um, Just kidding. They didn't come to watch me preach. Uh, They came to see Maya. Uh, Nobody cares about me anymore. Um, but it is really good to be with you guys today. Uh, I just want to go ahead and say before um, we open up the text and get into the word and stuff uh, that today's sermon will not be the feel-good sermon of the year. Um, we've come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is um, is kind of wrapping it up. And a lot of it is heavy, um, and a lot of it is challenging, and uh, a little a little bit intimidating. I would even say. Um, And so just kind of prepare yourselves for that, Um, but we can all say at least Luke is not preaching today, amen, so we can at least enjoy that part of the sermon. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to dive into the Word. Dear Lord Jesus, um, these words today are heavy words, these words today are difficult words, Uh, challenging, but these words are your words, Jesus, um, so we wouldn't dare gloss over them. Um, we're going to hear them today and we're going to let them uh, sink down deep into our hearts. Jesus, we pray that your spirit would move as your word is spoken today. I pray that you would help me to preach with some boldness um, and also clarity um, and sincerity Holy Spirit, I pray that you just move during this time, and that we would all walk away uh, closer to you this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have a lot to get through today, Um, so if you open up to Matthew chapter 7, uh, that is where we're going to be in verse 13. As I said, this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here for about two months at this point, and Jesus is... In this text, wrapping up everything that he said in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. We've talked about uh, the Beatitudes and what kind of people are truly blessed. We've talked about all these issues of anger and telling the truth and lust. And we've talked about loving our enemies We talked about anxiety. Tony talked just about judging. So Jesus is just rolling out all of this stuff, just hitting us with all of this teaching, all these invitations to come into the kingdom life and the expectations of what that's like. And Jesus, here at the end of Matthew 7, uh, is wrapping up that whole, um, this whole Sermon on the Mount. And so um, if you go to Matthew 7, verse 13, that's where we're going to pick up. He says, Enter. Through the narrow gate. Because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. How narrow is the gate, and how difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Here's your first feel good point of the morning Uh, there's a heaven and there's a hell, and there's a lot more people going to the ladder than the former. Woo! (laughs) Telling you, this is is just going to be par for the course the whole morning, so so track with me. Jesus is saying, hey, there are a lot less people who are going to choose to follow me than people who, uh, than who, um, sorry, there's a lot less people who are going to follow Jesus than those who, I don't even know, less people follow Jesus, more people don't follow Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, so Jesus is saying that. Th- that's what he's saying. Um, sorry, y'all. I'm. I've been sick the past few days, and my brain's still not fully back there yet. Um, the best place that I see this uh, illustrated in the Bible is in, uh, I think it's John chapter seven, where Jesus has just uh, fed all of the people. He multiplied the loaves and the bread, and uh, or the loaves and the fish, and everybody uh, got to have their fill. And he, after that, walks across the water on the lake to the other side, and the people find him the next day, and they say, uh, Jesus, we've been, we've been looking for you. And he said, you're only looking for me for my bread. You're looking for me because I multiplied the bread, and you got to eat it, and you had your fill. And they're like, well, uh, and he's like, you need to pursue the bread that comes from heaven, not physical bread, work for that bread that comes from heaven. And they said, well, Jesus always give us this bread. And he said, I'm that bread. And they said, what are you talking about? And he said, one of the most offensive things that Jesus says in the entire Bible, and he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And everybody's looking at him like, what are you talking about? And it says, from that point on, many people stopped following him. And you know, Jesus turns around after that, and all that's left is the 12 with him, and he said, Hey, are you guys going to leave me too? And they said, Jesus, Peter says, Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? But this is, this is really how it is. This is how it remains today. And this is a small picture of really what following Jesus looks like. There are a lot of people who really love the idea of what Jesus can do for them but aren't really interested in following him when things get difficult. Sadly, there are churches that are packed with people who love the idea of getting out of hell for free, saying a prayer, coming to church on Christmas and Easter. And if you do those things... You you get to go to heaven and you you get to live with this idea of a benevolent father who loves you and is going to take care of you and make everything good in your life. But there are far less people who are interested in following Jesus into taking up their cross and coming after him. And that's something that we have to wrestle with. And it's something that we have to recognize that if you are the person who really wants to follow Jesus, if you are somebody who says, yes, I want Jesus no matter what, no matter what it's going to cost me, I'm not just in it for what I can get from him, I want to serve him and give my life to him, you are on a narrow path. You are going to be in the minority in your life. There may be times when the path is so narrow that there's not enough room for anybody beside you. And you might find yourself in any given situation following Jesus by yourself. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. And this is how he opens up the end of his sermon, saying, the the real followers are few. And that's really our first point this morning, is that the real followers of Jesus are few. Now, um, that leads to the question of Okay, well, if the real followers of Jesus are few, then who are the real followers of Jesus? Well, thankfully, right after this, Jesus points out that not only are the real followers of Jesus few, but they're actually real followers of Jesus can be identified. Um, if you look in chapter 7, going down into verse 15, it says, Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, are ravenous wolves. So what Jesus is saying here is that there are some people who are not who they appear to be. Okay? When it comes to being in the church. And there, there was a beautiful example of this um, just a couple days ago. Some of you guys might have experienced this. Okay? Um, but I was sitting and I was preparing for this sermon on Thursday morning um, this week and I was checking my email and I got a really interesting email from a pastor Luke and the title of the sermon just said peace in uh, big capital letters and I said that's strange Um, you know Luke is kind of sometimes he's a little cryptic and things like that but you know usually he is a little more specific with his email titles and stuff like that Um, I also noticed that he changed his picture but anyway, so I, I opened up the email, and it said, Good morning, Josh. Are you available? Email me as soon as you get my message. God bless. And so, naturally, I said, Hi, Pastor Luke. Yes. For you, I'm always available. Which is true. Thank you for your response, Josh. Josh. And I might mess up the reading of this a little bit. Uh, the grammar is not perfect, uh, which is typical of Luke. Uh, it says, so no red flags really up to this point. It says, it's okay, but this is urgent. I need you to help me purchase a Amazon gift cards worth $1,000 in $200 denominations for Hope Children Homes. I am giving out this to their staffs as a donation, yada, yada, yada. As I promised them, I will be getting them these cards for me today, but I am unable to do this today. Let me know if you can help me get the cards and I will reimburse you back as soon as possible. This sounds like a worthy cause. I'd love to help. That's fine. Can you help me get the cards today? I'll forward the emails and the staff, and you help me. We can send it now. Do you take Bitcoin? I don't have any Bitcoin (laughs) this look like you're joking (laughs) I am not the one who need it and you know that (laughs) he's right I mean I know that Luke does pretty well for himself Um, he wouldn't be asking for a thousand dollars worth of Amazon gift cards for himself so I said Luke you know I don't joke around when it comes to charitable donations And he replied, thanks, it looks like you can't do it. (laughs) And I started, and at this point I was like, I think this might not actually be Pastor Luke. (laughs) Jesus said that not everybody appears is who they appear uh, to be. And he actually tells us how to identify um, somebody who is a real follower of Jesus here in this passage. Um, He goes on and he says in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruit. He said, grapes are not gathered from thorns or figs from thistles. In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree is not able to bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree to bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will recognize them by their fruit. This is an interesting passage because there's there's a widespread idea in Christianity, uh, or at least in our Western Christian world, that only God knows the heart. You can't tell what's in somebody's heart. But Jesus seems to be opposed to that idea. And I do think that's true for the most part, that we can't tell everything that's going on, we can't tell everybody's single motivation and every, for everything, every little thing that they do. But Jesus is getting up here and he's saying, hey, do you want to know what's inside of someone? All you have to do is look at the fruit that comes out of their life. There's a, uh, in the Luke's parallel of this passage, this is, Jesus says this even stronger, he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another translation says, um, uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, what Jesus is saying is, you really can tell what's in somebody's heart. Not every little bit, but, and this isn't to undo everything that Tony shared with us last week about judging people. We're not supposed to use this as, a, as some kind of weapon against people and say, oh, you know, I heard uh, Josh say a cuss word, and so I'm pretty sure he's not a Christian. I'm just kidding. Josh didn't say a cuss word, but maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, but we're not supposed to use that as a weapon and go and try to, you know, point people out and pin people down and say, you know, and judge their heart. But we are supposed to use this as, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't want any of us to come to the end of our days and be surprised at the verdict that we receive before his throne. He's too gracious for that. What he's saying is, look at your life now. Look at the fruit that you bear now. What comes out of you naturally? Do you, do, what comes out of your mouth? Is, it, is Does venom come out of your mouth naturally? Do racist comments just slip out? Do things of hatred and and, um, and lust, and all these things, are those just behaviors that you find coming out of yourself naturally? Or has Jesus actually come in and made a difference in your life to where the natural overflow out of you is these good things that Jesus is talking about, like the fruit of the Spirit, and love, and joy, and peace, and patience? I'm not talking about aggressive introspection here. I'm not saying, you know, well, you know, back on that Tuesday in February of 2017, you know, um, I think I told a white lie, and so I got some bad fruit in my life. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about look at your life, and has a relationship with Jesus made a difference in you to where you have become a different kind of person that bears good fruit in your life? And if the answer is no, well, that's the invitation today, really, is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus so that he can fill you, so that he can do a work in your heart and you can begin to see good fruit come up in you. That's the invitation today. And it's really, really important that we do this now and not later because apparently there is going to be a day or there will be some people who come to Jesus at the end of their life and they will be very, very surprised at what he says. If you go on and you look uh, in the next verse... Y'all doing okay with me right now? You tracking? Like I said, not super fun, but so good and so important. So this is what Jesus says um, in the next verse, verse twenty-one: Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me just stop and sit on that one for just a second. There are going to be some people who said, Jesus is my Lord. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And they're going to come to Jesus, and they're going to be like Jesus. And they're they're not actually Christians. They're not actually saved. There are some people who claim to be Christians who are not. Um, There was one time where I was... uh, walking out to my mailbox. It was summer, and I think it was a Sabbath day, and so I was just really, I really never dressed like this. It was just kind of, I don't know. I, I was wearing just shorts and flip-flops. Uh, I looked like a hillbilly. I was going out to get my mail, and I was walking down the driveway, and we live in like a like a fourplex kind of deal, and so we have a lot of neighbors and stuff, um, but I'm walking out, and I'm getting my mail, and obviously, I looked like somebody who does drugs. <laughs> uh, any of y'all who know me uh, in any other portion of my life know that I do not look like a person who, do, who does drugs. Um, and so uh, I was walking out and getting my mail, and this car rolls up, and the window just slowly rolls down. And this little head pops out. He says, Hey, bro, you want some Zans? And I turned around, and I was like, What? He's like, You want some Zans? And I like tried to gather up like all of my like knowledge of like the criminal underworld and like what that could possibly mean, um, and and it, uh, it hit me. He's talking about Xanax, the drug that people use to do drugs, and and you know I didn't really know what to say. I've been offered drugs like three times in my entire life, um, and all I could say, all I just what came out of my mouth was. Oh, no thanks, man. I'm a Christian. And I wasn't ready for what came next. He just, just the car started rolling off, and he just shouted back, Me too. <laughs> now, I don't want to judge his life, but wheeling and dealing Xanax on the street uh, out of the back of your buddy's crown, Victoria, and thinking that you're a Christian. Um, There are people who say, I'm a Christian, there's people who say Jesus is Lord, uh, and it may not actually be true, is what Jesus is getting at here. Now that might not come as like a huge surprise to, to a lot of us, but I think this next part does come as a pretty big surprise to most of us. First time you read it especially, but I'm still kind of baffled by what Jesus says next here. He says, not only are, those who say, are there those who say, Lord, Lord, um, but will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but he says... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many powerful deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you, away from me, you lawbreakers. As far as ministry rap sheets go, that's kind of on the high end. I think if this person applied for the youth pastor position at this church tomorrow, I might be out of a job. I don't know how many of us in the room have cast out demons and spoken prophecies and performed many miracles here in the room. But apparently these guys have. And Jesus says to them, instead of congratulations, yeah, you guys really got it right, he said, I never knew you. And I'm going to be honest, this passage confuses me a little bit. Um, And I don't want to say too much about it, but I will say this, what I think we can gather from this, is that there are some things that are more important than others to Jesus. It reminds me um, of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, he's talking in the context of spiritual gifts, and he says, if I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. He's talking about speaking in the tongues of angels, and he's talking about having prophetic powers to be able to understand all mysteries and knowledge and faith to move mountains. And he says, if I have, don't have love, though, I have nothing. And he even says this weird thing right here where he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, but don't have love, you need nothing. That always really confused me. I'm like, man, how can you give away all your possessions and not be motivated by love? But I see this passage, and Apparently, what's most important to God is not spiritual power or even your list of things that you have done for Jesus, even things that aren't overtly overtly supernatural, like uh, giving over your body to hardship or um, giving everything you possess to the poor. Apparently, what's more important is having a relationship with Jesus. And here's the thing. Real followers, I think what we're supposed to get out of this, real followers have a relationship with Jesus. And I I think the real key here, Paul, Paul relates it to love. Jesus just says, I never knew you. But for you Bible scholars out there, what is the evidence of knowing God in the Bible? It's love, right? Anyone who does not love does not know God. This is really, really important, especially for people like me, because I really, really, really think that the supernatural is so important in the life of the church. And I want to see people get healed, and I want to see the spiritual gifts, all of them being used powerfully among us, because I've seen what it can do for people. I've seen the power that it has and the way that it can encourage us and build us up and advance the kingdom. But these passages like this stop me in my tracks and make me step back and realize that there's something more important than power in the kingdom. And it's love. It's a relationship with Jesus that's evidenced by love. In a few weeks, we're going to have a prayer night where we're all going to come together and we're going to pray and we're going to seek the presence of the Lord to come and work in our midst. And we're going to pray for people to be healed. And I really, really hope that people get healed that night. But even if they do, and we bring forward a bunch of people, and they get healed, and they go and tell their friends, and they bring their friends, and they get healed, and everybody's getting healed in here, and it's really awesome, but we don't have life-transforming love that is the evidence of a relationship with Jesus. We've missed it completely. This is what matters. is a relationship with Jesus. And let me tell you this, no matter A lot of people, I'm afraid, what's really interesting in this passage, what Jesus says, what's interesting is the first guy comes up and he says, Lord, Lord, and he didn't make it because he had a confession without any deeds. But then the second guy comes up and he has a whole big list of good works and good deeds, but he's banking the fact that he's going to get in based on that list, and he doesn't get in either. My point is this. is a lot, of, a lot of us can sometimes think that we're going to get in because we can impress Jesus with our list. I've taught Sunday school for 40 years. I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. I go to church three Sundays out of four. It's not bad. And we think that maybe we're justified somehow on our list. People, your list doesn't impress Jesus, and your list doesn't justify you. Only a relationship with Jesus is what justifies you. Has your life been transformed by an encounter with him that's evidenced in a love that has reshaped your life? That's what we're dealing with. So we come to the end here of Jesus' sermon, and he wraps it up in typical Jesus fashion with a story. And here's the story, the parable that he shares. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house. But it did not collapse because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house and it collapsed, and its fall was great. Here's the thing about Jesus, is most public speakers and preachers would probably be satisfied to have a bunch of people show up to your speaking engagement uh, and enjoy themselves and be entertained and leave saying, man, that was a really good talk. But Jesus is not satisfied with that. Jesus says, if you come here and you hear all these things that I've said, and you leave and you say, that was a good sermon, and don't do anything about it, it's worthless to you. It's death to you. He could have been satisfied to have the most popular sermon that's ever been preached in human history, which it was, have volumes and volumes and volumes of books written about it, and everybody preach more sermons about this sermon, and uh, everybody talk about it and discuss it and debate it forever. But instead, he said, you have to do what I'm saying. You've heard me tell you not to lust in your heart. You've told me to seek the kingdom and hand over your anxiety. You've told me not to judge, but it's worthless to you if you don't do it. I want to show you Real quick, there's a Greek word that's used um, to describe the word do, and uh, I don't know if you can see it very well, but everything highlighted in yellow there in this, all this passage that we've been talking about is that word. It comes out in different, um, in different translations, but he's so focused on us actually doing what he has said. That is the most important to Jesus. And that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's almost the end of the sermon. (laughs) I know that this sermon feels heavy. I know that it feels uh, convicting and challenging. But I want to show you something really cool about the way that the people reacted to these words that we've been studying for the past two months This is what the people watching, this is how they reacted to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In verse 28, it says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed by his teaching because he taught them like one who had authority, not like their teachers of the law. And here's here's what I love about this. Matthew writes, Jesus taught them not like their teachers taught them. And here's the deal, is that Jesus is unlike any other teacher. He speaks these words that feel heavy. Wow, love your enemies. Wow, I can't even look at a woman with lust in my eyes. Can't even even take a peek. I have to lay down all of my anxiety. Can't judge anyone. This all feels heavy. And this is a lot. But let me tell you, Every other teacher that has laid these burdens upon people, every other teacher that has laid expectations upon his followers, given the invitation to follow them, Confucius, the Buddha, Aristotle, Plato, all of these people, they laid out all these expectations, and they died. Jesus is the only teacher who lives to help you follow his teaching. He's the only one who died and rose from the dead so that you do not have to walk the narrow path by yourself. There is one who walks before you, who has done it, and who says, follow me. Who comes when we need it, reaches back and pulls us back onto the path when we fall off. Who comes in and says, "I'm I'm not only going to ask you to do these things. I am going to come and live inside of you and help you to accomplish them. That's Jesus. That is the teacher who is unlike any other teacher. And that is the one that we've come to learn from all of these weeks studying his beautiful words in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's the one who invites you today to follow after him. And by his power, we can do it. Jesus pray that you would um, call us to follow you with your voice that is the only one that can speak with such conviction um, and such heaviness, but also with such gentleness and with such encouragement. Jesus, I pray that you would lift our heads to see you. God, if there are those of us in this room today who Really can't say where we're at with you. Really can't say if we've built our house on the firm foundations of your word or if we've been doing our own thing. Jesus, I pray that you would draw each person in this room to yourself today. Jesus, we love you for being our good teacher. We thank you. Help us today. Amen.